0: Welcome to Real Gym Radio. I'm Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is the great Sam Vicini of The Athletic, of The Game Theory Podcast, and we have a really fun conversation talking about this year's class, you know, the stars, starters, rotation players framework, and kind of how it's looking to Sam, plus... Nagy Hoop Summit, the interesting news about Overtime Elite, and a lot of other topics, as you know with Sam, we do that. This episode runs about an hour and is brought to you by betonline.ag. Use that CLNS50 code to get a 50% welcome bonus. So I hope you really enjoy the episode. Thank you so much for coming on.
1: Danny, what's going on, man? It's good to chat. been a long day. We just saw an incredible Utah Jazz Dallas Mavericks series end. I have to deal with college transfer news every single waking second of my life at this point. In addition to my day job doing draft stuff, you know, this is this is where we're at in basketball right now. It's just a never ending sphere when uh, April and May roll around.
0: It is, and that you know, we w- the timing of this podcast for us has been different over the years, depending on your timing and mine. But I like to do a catch up on the draft and draft prospects after the NCAA tournament to get a sense of kind of where things are. And from what I understand, and correct me well, if I'm wrong. First and
1: foremost, speaking of timing, I mean we're doing a late night show today, folks. It's a uh, it's a beautiful. 11 p.m. start going into the midnight hour. We're the midnight boys. Forget the Ringer Show. This is us. This is who we are now.
0: <laughs> it's it's midnight for me, and uh, and I don't know. It's like four o'clock p.m. for you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, oh, and that's the funny thing about me being at times I have functioning insomnia, because that I could kind of do this all the time. It's not that big a deal. But I and, and you know Nate and I are recording fairly late sometimes. Just depends on when's when the games when the games end, and my thought and i i I try not to read too much on like the boards and the movement and stuff before i've done my own evaluation of the players i'm going to evaluate but yeah from my cursory viewpoint it does not appear that the 2022 ncaa tournament did much to move players at the top or honestly really even like the next level down is that correct
1: I think that's largely correct outside of, you know, maybe one instance, two instances, maybe. Uh, the, the top 10 is gonna look pretty steady at this point, and it's in large part because, uh, this NBA draft class of player is not at the level that the 2021 class was like we, we just we've been saying this all year Danny and I this is what the third time we've done this since the 2021 cycle started sounds about right I mean it's it just hasn't changed, and it's disappointing. There are some interesting high upside players that I think are trying to take advantage of potentially being able to slot into the first round, despite not necessarily being ready for the NBA, that could, you know, in retrospect, make this draft's depth look kind of interesting. But at the end of the day, I just do not see this Uh, As a particularly strong draft, I still think that there are at least four players in the 2021 NBA draft class uh, that are better than anyone in this class.
0: Over the years, you and I have kind of honed a way of discussing the draft, and I like to describe it as stars, starters, and rotation players. And I will have my own adjudication roughly a month from now, maybe two months from now, depending on how the next couple of rounds go. But let's start at the let's start at the top. Like, do you think this is a strong, weak, or medium class at the star tier? I
1: think it depends what you're looking for out of your stars. If you are comfortable with defining guys that can be like the number two guy on a good contender as stars, then – yeah, I think this class has a few interesting players in that regard. I don't really see any of these guys being a number one guy on a contender,
0: like a, and, like a top ten player in the league or a top five, maybe more accurately.
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly, I don't. I, I would be surprised if anyone reached the top ten level. You know, the law of big numbers when we're talking about you know ten to fifteen players at the top of this class that uh, have a lot of talent says that. Maybe one might crack that top 10 range at some point, but it's going to be exceptionally difficult to evaluate which of those players it's going to be. And I think that you have a lower percentage chance of getting that player uh, through this draft class than you do in other classes. There's no Cade Cunningham. There's no Jalen Green, even in this class, in my opinion.
0: That ties in with something that I find so fascinating is that we've seen the league. Yeah, if we're talking about the absolute best of the best, you'd love to have a Kevin Durant or a Kwai Leonard like those wings that can also handle the ball and create. But even just a high volume creator of any size, so whether that player's six foot or six yeah. four or six seven or six ten, they're just for whatever reason, the supply of those players in this class specifically, but even from the limited amounts I've heard from beyond that, it seems like it's pretty limited for whatever reason.
1: Yeah, to an extent. I think that's right. You know, the 2023 class has some interesting creators. There's some interesting younger guards and wings. I think this class actually has some pretty interesting, you know, guys between six foot four and six foot nine that can act as secondary creators, right? Your, uh, Uh, You know, to an extent Jaden Ivey, although I think Jaden's going to be more of a primary, but moreover, your Johnny Davises, your Malachi Branhams, your Dyson Danielses, your Keegan Murrays, for instance, or, you know, even at the top of the class, if we want to go here to start, Jabari Smith, I think profiles exceptionally well as one of the best number two players in the NBA uh, if he continues to hit his ceiling. Uh, it, it's th- Those are the kind of guys that are in large supply in this class as opposed to primary drivers of offense. And a few will emerge, look like Jaden Ivey is going to be a good primary driver of offense. Um, you, you know, someone like Kennedy Chandler, Ty Ty Washington. Uh, you know, I'm trying to think in, in terms of. You know, real point guards. There aren't a ton of great smaller guards in this class, but. There are some of these bigger sized wings, Shaden Sharp, Keegan Murray, Ben Matherin, AJ Griffin, Jeremy Sohan, I think is pretty interesting, Malik Branham, like I said, like there are a lot of those secondary type wings that profile into versatile roles in this draft. Those guys are in high supply, which frankly is, you know, a pretty interesting draft class. In its own respect, it's just not necessarily a super high upside class. Like I think teams are going to be happy, you know, to get some of the guys they end up with in the late lottery because you're probably going to end up with a good rotation wing if you're in the late lottery. But as you get further down, you're going to be taking some home run swings and – that's where things can get a little bit dicey.
0: They can, and those contracts are still a little bit deflated. But it has been, thankfully, the rookie scale has been improved, and so the decisions on some of those players. You know, I, I don't. I think of the home run hitting in the like, the, let's say the twenties as being a reasonable, a reasonable thing to do. Like it, it, there could be some, you know, high floor, or low ceiling guys. It depends on the year, but it'll be interesting to see all that play out. And I think that the I I, I focused on the. High kind of the high volume creators because that's such an important role in the league. But capable wings are another thing that really helps the quality of play around the league. Like we're seeing that in in the playoffs that are going on right now, and the teams that can have you know you don't you don't having somebody having a quiet Hunter is great, but if you have a Dorian Finney Smith, that's pretty damn good too, and. We'll see where all of these players go. I don't think there's a guarantee that any of them are going to reach that kind of level or not all, all of them are the necessarily even the 3 and D archetype. But adding, adding depth there at what I consider the most scarce kind of like niche in the league is a really good thing.
1: I think that's right. And I think ultimately it just leads to the league continuing down the pathway that it is right now in terms of... Being able to play multi versatile, multi talented, multi skilled lineups that generally make sense, right? Like at the end of the day, that's what it kind of comes down to for me. Like, are there more lineups that teams can play that allow them to versatilely match up with other teams, right? uh You know, th- this draft has a few centers that I think are interesting, you know, even beyond the Chet Holmgren class, right? Like, I like Jalen Duran to an extent. I like uh, Mark Williams quite a bit. I think probably even a little bit more than consensus. I'm interested in Walker Kessler. Uh, Christian Coloco is like an interesting late first, second round flyer. But for the most part, the guys that have kind of moved up my board over the process, you're uh, Blake Wesleys, Daylon Terrys. Trevor Keels is a guy that I have in the early second. Jake Laravia, Kendall Brown. These guys are wings. And I think that having wings, particularly wings in the case of people like Laravia and Kendall Brown's size uh, at six foot eight, having wings that have that kind of height and length uh, only adds to the potential versatility of what those guys can bring to the table.
0: Part of the reason I love six foot six to six foot eight players as it you know like if if you're drafting is the idea that they are more slottable than a lot of other roles. Like you could think about a six foot guard and if they're really good, then of course, you know, like they're a star level player, you can make it work. And if they're, if, if if even if, you know, like in the case of the Portland Trailblazers, you have two really good players that are both six foot four and under, like you could have a very good team and they made a conference finals and everything else. But Boston's a great example of this. There are a number of them around the league right now. The beauty of those true wing sized players is that even if they aren't starting caliber if they are rotation caliber you will find a place for them and if you don't have those players and the Brooklyn Nets were a phenomenal example of it this year it becomes so easy to exploit and it can be a very it can be a very prominent problem even for very talented teams
1: I think that's right, particularly the point that as long as these guys are athletic and big – and particularly like most of them need to shoot. Not all of them necessarily need to shoot depending on your roster construction as a whole.
0: Or if you have Fred Vincent on your staff.
1: <laughs> or if you have Fred Vincent on your staff who can just teach guys how to shoot. Uh, your Chip Engelins, etc. Uh, yeah, I think that the key is just finding guys that bring versatile skill sets. Which is why, you know, for instance, one guy that I haven't really given up on yet is Kendall Brown out of Baylor. Uh, you know, Kendall Brown is six foot eight. He is a freak show athlete. Uh, he is quick twitch laterally. He is all sorts of bouncy vertically. He is versatile defensively. He has shown the ability to guard, you know, perimeter players out high and switch onto them. If you think that you can teach this 19 year old to shoot at some point in the next three years, that guy is an NBA player. And at six foot eight has a chance to be a really good one who can play the three and the four. Uh, uh, You know, and it's also why, you know, a guy that I keep bringing up as someone I really like is Jake LaRavia. He is not a great athlete. He's kind of the antithesis of Kendall Brown in many ways, despite being six foot eight and just a year older. He is like a little bit heavier. He is still working on his conditioning and his frame, but has all the skill in the world and all of the feel for the game and processing ability in the world. He can really pass the ball at a high level. He shoots the ball at a high level. Uh, he reads the game really, really well and makes quick decisions that allow you to get your star players into better position. I'd be much less interested in this player if he was six foot four, right? But because he's 6'8", it makes him a little bit easier to work around defensively. It's not that he's a terrible defender on the college level. He's just not a difference maker. Uh, and because he's 6'8", it allows him to get his shot up at a little bit of a... Uh, easier release point than someone who's six foot five and is going to get contested a little bit more. So, I, I look at these guys that are wing size. They can come in all shapes and sizes. They can come in all different skill sets, uh, as long as you're you know six foot six or taller. Basically, uh, it, it's it's a it's it's interesting to try and. Navigate which guys are going to be the best creators. And then, you know, you kind of mentioned the idea of just dudes who can get their own bucket, right? Dudes who can get their own shot. It's why, for instance, another guy that I'm really excited about right now out of NC State is Terquavion Smith. You know, he averaged 18 points a game as a teenager in the ACC this year. He can really pull up and knock down shots. He has this weird uh, penchant to go up for offhand dunks in the half court, like for some reason. I'm a big fan of his. I think he is a real shot to be a high level player. He's 165 pounds right now at six foot three to six foot four. So he gotta put on some weight. He's gotta get stronger. He's gonna be a project. But we've seen, you know, what happens if you're willing to invest in projects like this. I think that teams, you know, around the league are looking at the success story that is Jordan Poole and trying to identify what made Jordan Poole work on some level.
0: Pool is a fascinating example and you wonder I mean those the how you want to use the building blocks how you want to develop a player out is also a really fun idea like for me if a guy has a connected handle and has good passing vision there's a lot that you can do from that and also as came up a lot in that NBA like viable athleticism is of course a very important right. um, important part of this equation unless you have just ridiculous feel and you
1: know you can you can make it work and, yeah, like Austin Reeves made it work this year. He did. He has incredible feel, and he just he processes the game faster than everyone else on the court.
0: One of the guys in kind of who fits some of that description is uh, Benedict Mouthrin out of Arizona. I he yeah. had a, had a nice run in the tournament until that last game, and that you know Houston made a lot of made a lot of players, let a lot of teams look bad. Or was it was it Houston? Or was it TC? That that was his last game, right?
1: TCU was the game where he like, went supernova, yeah. and then Houston is the game that made him look pretty rough. Houston plays super physical defensively. They have all sorts of athletes on the wing. Um, they really muck up the game at a pretty high level. Like they, they – Kelvin Sampson's like one of the five best coaches in the country. I mean, and, it, and it's I heard they—they they
0: have a, oh, I, I remember at the I was seeing at the Hoop Summit that I was it them or was it somebody else that had like a, a couple other guys. That I'm like, oh great, like they're just, just going to keep going.
1: Oh, they're, they're going to be a top two team in the country next year. They have Jarris Walker and Terrence Arsenault coming in. You know, both of whom are you know, potential one and duns. like they have Marcus Sasser coming back, probably who was their best player who got hurt early in the season. They might be getting in a transfer here and there. Who knows? Like, they're going to be even more talented and even better next year. Like they are. Yeah. Kelvin Sampson is a genius and Houston was not really worth watching for NBA prospects last year. Uh, They are going to be eminently worth watching this coming year for prospects.
0: I know that AJ Griffin has had an up and down year. We, we've we spent so much time talking about the top three, I kind of don't want to talk about them too much until I've actually watched the film, and then we'll have something new to discuss with them. What is the what is dividing people about Griffin?
1: Yeah, so I went to the Final Four, obviously. I was in the US. We got to hang out here and there before I got hit with COVID, Um When I saw EJ Griffin in person versus when I've watched him on tape at lower levels, you know, U16s, Archbishop Stepanak, you know, AAU, things like that before he was injured. He he sat out his entire senior season about and then got hurt again in the offseason coming into his Duke season um, with a knee injury. So when I saw him in lower levels, he was much more explosive. When I saw him at the Final Four, I was more like, oh, he just like straight up has to play off of two feet. Doesn't have a ton of vertical pop in the half court right now. It looks a bit heavy on his feet, to be honest. Um, but how much of that is like, okay, Duke didn't have a ton of spacing and he has to play off of two feet in order to avoid defenders because Paulo likes to play in the midpost and Mark Williams is a non-shooter. Like there there are a number of factors there, but the, the resounding kind of feel from evaluators is is that A.J. Griffin has incredible touch as a shooter, but we don't know what his level of athleticism is. And because of that, uh, also because of just his general motor level wavering from time to time, he... Also has a tendency to disappear from games. So what do we do? Do we bet on six foot six, six eleven wingspan, great physical frame and can shoot? Or are we worried more about the deficiencies? And I don't I don't really have a great answer to that, to be honest.
0: That also makes the mid- lottery kind of an appropriate place for a player like that. And it wouldn't surprise me, based on that description and others that I've heard about Griffin, to see him go higher than you expect because it only takes one or two teams falling in love. And yep. usually, the reason a player, a, devi- a divisive player falls is health. Like Michael Porter Jr., I think, was a good example of that, where there are some teams that just like take them off their board. And so then right. it kind of solves some of the division elements there um but with griffin i i like something that you talked about before and i think he'll be a really interesting example this is teams evaluating based on what they think they can cultivate within a player and so like when you were when you were talking about i'm trying to remember that was the 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 athlete um kendall brown and i was like yeah I, I, i got really angry i got really angry that the toronto raptors do not have a pick in the first round this year, because that C <laughs> sounds exactly like a Toronto Raptors player. And on yeah. that note, the Pelicans not having a first round pick, that would have been, he would have been another fun one for them. Were that the case? They also don't have, they, well, they do have a first round pick, but it's eighth. So that might be a little bit high for him, but, but uh, well, we'll see. We'll see where that Lakers pick ends up though. That's another lingering storyline. But I am like, I, so. but you think about, OK, so Kendall Brown, you know, the question really, it seems like is for him is the jump shot. And then for then maybe it's a functional athleticism or burst or pop or something like that. And we're at a point now where different teams, I think, think they can solve different deficiencies and accentuate different strengths, which some of that might be right. Some of it might be wrong, but it's pretty fun.
1: It is. This is like purely an eye of the beholder draft. Like you're not going to see too many people really like lash out at others about what their board looks like because it's – such a convoluted draft with how far away most of these players are from succeeding. Like I see this more like 2020 where I didn't think that rookie class played particularly well during that rookie season. You know, LaMelo has turned into an all-star Anthony Edwards looks great, but you know, I think the cupboard is actually kind of bare beyond those two, to be honest. Like there's, you know, a couple other guys that have been, solid. You know, Sadiq Bey was good as a rookie, and was fine last year um, You know, Pat Williams has been hurt Isaac Okoro uh, has not Been very good, Onyeka e- Okongwu Has been hurt, James Wiseman's been hurt Killeen Hayes has not been very good Obi Toppin certainly has not returned top 10 value Jalen Smith, you know, got his option Declined in the mm. top 10 Tyrese Halliburton looks phenomenal, I don't mean to exclude and, and him I, but... And
0: I really like Devin Vassell too Personally, Yeah, and, really and Maxi like of course Vassell Has as been well. wonderful
1: And maxi has been great, but in general You can go down that list, then you go into the 20s Zeke Nagy has not been great. Leandro Balmaro was not very good this year. RJ Hampton has not been very good. Manuel Quickly looks like a good backup. Peyton Pritchard looks like a good backup. Azabuki has not been great. Jaden McDaniels looks like a starter. Uh, Desmond Bain has been exceptional, but Malachi Flynn doesn't look great. Uh, and, and, and then the through. 30s
0: are just a disaster zone.
1: 30s are a disaster zone outside of Xavier Tillman. You know, 40s are Trey Jones, who looks fine, basically a disaster zone outside of him. 50s are a disaster zone. Even the teens, like... Kyra Lewis hasn't been great. Now he's hurt. Aaron Naismith isn't in Boston's rotation. Um, Poku, as much as I love my dear sweet boy from Serbia, I have no fucking idea what he is right now. <laughs> so I it's, it's complicated, man. I, I, that 2020 draft looks a bit rough. And I think that 2022, by the way, is probably early on, at the very least in these players' careers. Early on, I think is going to look similarly not awesome. Uh, while a lot of these players work to develop toward being good players. Uh, th- there are a lot of projects in this class, I think.
0: That does align with the general concept that I've always urged teams to consider when they're evaluating and, and of course there are exceptions all the time, but it's, you're not thinking about this player contributing immediately in, in great, in certain circumstances they can, the new Orleans Pelicans are a fabulous example of players doing so early on. And that isn't necessarily all just guys with super draft pedigrees. It can be an undrafted player like Jose Alvarado or Perb Jones Mm is a second round pick. who is was absolutely awesome this year. First team all rookie for me. And I think for hopefully almost everybody. And But the general concept is, these are players that you think over the course of two to four years, you can mold into something appropriate relative to their draft position. And that is what you're looking, you know, you're not looking at it as this is a starter day one, and then all the way through these first four years of the contract, like that's it can happen and it's wonderful if it happens especially if it's outside of the top 10 but i i've always said the team shouldn't focus on the first two years at all really when it comes to drafting players
1: you know i think i disagree out to two years i would like to see flashes by midway through the first or midway through the second year
0: i'll, I'll clarify i think it's for me expecting them to have any sort of role like if like flashes sure but not like you know, I, I wouldn't say that you pencil. You wouldn't want to like be like, I'm expecting this person to start year two.
1: No, definitely not that. But like, if I was Atlanta right now. I I think it's reasonable to be a little bit disappointed by what they've gotten back from Anyeka Kongwu at number six, especially given that they're not paying him an insubstantial amount of money being the number six overall pick. Uh, And part of that's due to injuries. Like, I don't put the onus on a Kongwu for not getting better, but I would, like, I, I think it's reasonable for them to be disappointed. I think the Cavs should be disappointed that they took Isaac Okoro whose offensive game is just like a total disaster, it seems like. Uh, And I like DeCoro, by the way. I had him in the same spot, I think, that the Cavs did. So uh, I I thought that his offensive game had a shot to figure itself out. Well, and
0: and I think that your comparison to 2020 is really interesting because as we're looking at it, and I mean, there was a time when I was more optimistic about Patrick Williams, like those players who were drafted in the top 10, the bottom half of the top 10, especially some of them, maybe we thought at one point there was the upside to be a little bit more. I know some were higher on Killian Hayes than I was, but I I thought he had substandard athleticism and that that would be hard to. Create certain things. But what we're looking at now with a lot of those players, and I think Denny Avdi is a great example of this, like, totally capable NBA player. I've liked his defense a lot, but yeah. they're profiling as support players, and the league needs support players. They make a huge difference in it. And that, but you know, like, that's really what we're looking at. Like, I would say a realistic best case scenario for somebody like Okoro or killian hayes or avdia is lower usage but still viable, still useful player hopefully as a starter
1: yeah i th- i think that you know especially now i think that when the Cavs drafted isaac Okoro, they probably thought that they were getting more you know what i mean
0: they did like, uh, I- i'm sure they did
1: yeah like when the pistons drafted killian hayes they thought this is a potential starting guard and that's just absolutely not the case it seems like so far um
0: I will note as a, as a kind of a stray note on Killian Hayes, as somebody who has been burned by these kind of toolsy guards before, their Killian Hayes defense over the second half of the year definitely inspires some optimism. But a fundamental yeah. problem is if he's not better offensively, it doesn't really matter that much. Like totally. Shout out Dante Axum, um, who had some nice highlights. In I think he's on Barca now, but we'll we'll see. He is playing for
1: Barca, his
0: yep. his story. I will I will note his story might not be over yet, and I would love to see him back in the NBA. Like the work, the work. If he can get get to
1: that level, but 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 you know what though, for the Jazz who drafted Dante, because they had to sell low on him at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Like regardless of his story as a person and as a player, not being over. Uh, And it's not. I completely agree with you, and I think that I think and hope that Dante Exum gets back to the NBA and has a real success story. He was great in the Olympics for Australia. For the teams that are drafting these players, like ultimately they have to be in some respect ready-ish by the eighteen-month mark after they've been picked. Otherwise, they just kind of crater in value, and as an asset, it becomes really hard to manage them on some level, especially when you're talking guys in the top ten. And by the way, like, I think this extends to the second round, particularly, uh, that 18 month mark, I think is when teams start to get gunshot or gun happy, uh, trigger happy. That's the phrase I'm looking for about jettisoning these, Second round picks, right? Like yeah, we saw Wood- Woodard and yep Woodard and uh, Jamias Ramsey and Vernon Boom, Carey. Gone. Yeah, Elijah Hughes is not on his original team anymore. Uh, Vernon is not on his, his original team anymore. Tyrell Terry is not on his original team anymore. Tyler Bay got cut, I think, in the first part of his first season. <laughs> um, you, you know, you can kind of go down the list and you can look, and then like you can go back to 2019. Like it's the same deal. Didi Luzada not on his same team anymore. Within eighteen months of coming over after he was a stash, uh, Davidas uh not on his original team anymore. Daniel Gafford, who has turned into a really good player, they didn't get. They weren't patient with him. Is maybe the way to put it. Sure. Because. Teams get a little bit trigger happy on these guys. Bruno Fernando, Carson Edwards, Casey Apollo. None of these guys are on their original teams. And, you know, we talk about how the first 10 picks of the second round you can a afford to gamble a little bit as a team, but as a player, you're getting a guaranteed contract. All of these guys, like they did, they did well to enter the draft and get the money that they did at the time when NIL was not a factor within college basketball, right? Like Bruno Fernando, I think got something like $5 million guaranteed, four and a half, five million $5 million guaranteed. That is a lot of money for him. And nobody's ever going to take that money away from him, which means it was the right to, decision to enter. Mm-hmm. But I think that these kids that are entering the class and the best information available at the time when they have to make their decisions about testing the waters is that you know, you're probably gonna go somewhere in the twenty-five to forty-five range. These kids do need to know that it is highly likely that if you are not ready to play within the first 18 months of getting drafted, you are gonna be gone and you are gonna be swimming uphill in your career at that point. Because Casey Apollo was considered a like project for sure. And the Heat were in on it until they weren't. It now he is like uh, I I don't even know where he's signed. To be completely honest with you, I don't know that he is signed anywhere, um, which makes it really tricky. It, it's really really tricky.
0: It's a great point, and yeah, the, so Kaziak Paul was traded from the Heat to the Thunder, and then the Thunder just cut him. I don't know that he picked up anywhere else, and. Right. And, I mean, Eric Paschal is another really interesting example where Paschal, I mean, he played a huge role for the Warriors his rookie year and then just fell out and then is on a new team and was, you know, played played a little bit on the yeah. Jazz before their season abruptly it, ended about two hours ago.
1: And he's a success story. Sure. Like, Eric Paschal is going to get a second contract. It's a huge win. Like – Isaiah Roby, I think, is like a relative success story for Oklahoma City. THT, I think Jay-
0: THT is one in certain ways as well. I mean, he's definitely one for himself financially.
1: Huge, huge success story uh, for himself financially. He's going to get $30 million over the next three years, right? Jalen Noel he's going to get a second contract. We'll see. Terrence Mann is a success success story, right? Like you go back to 2018, you can find them. Jalen Brunson's about to be an enormous success story. Devontae Graham was a success story. Mitchell Robinson's about to be one. Gary Trent was one. Uh, You know, that 31 to 40 range in 2018 turned out really great. Yeah, Terrence Mann in 2019, right? Yeah, Yeah, Bruce Brown Jr. at 42. Jared Vanderbilt got a second contract, 41. DeAnthony Melton got a second contract, number 46 in that class. But, you know, the the standard is high for those guys. And then you go back and you look, you know, 21 to 30, you'll find Chandler Hutchison, Aaron Holliday, Mo Wagner. I mean, I don't know how the fuck Landry Schammett got that contract. Good work by, I think, his agents George Langberg, to get that deal. Uh, But Jacob Evans, John and Musa and Amari Spellman, like all those guys are either second contract guys or minimum guys. So it's it's tricky, I think, once you get down into that level. It's very, very tricky.
0: It is it, for sure, and I I like the distinction also with second rounders because there's usually less invested, and they fell they fell enough that you're they're typically not super high potential guys. I mean, Okpala is sort of an ex- exception that proves the rule, where it's like they gave him latitude and he he had a roster spot and he didn't deliver, and also yep. the specific and, and context, the guy that
1: went ahead of him too, Nick Claxton is a you know probable success story this summer, probable uh, success story,
0: and it might not be with his current team too. Like we could uh, totally how, how Brooklyn managed which is everything that they have to go through is going to be just just wild this year. Plenty more with San Vecini, but first message from betonline.ag. Our partners at BetOnline continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports information. Follow all the latest sports developments, including updated odds on the playoffs, fights, and even next season's futures. And don't forget that baseball is back, and the start of Major League Baseball season is finally here. BetOnline is your continued source for all of your sports wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It is super easy to get started, so head to the website today or use your mobile device to join. And please use our promo code CLNS50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit at BetOnline, where the game starts. I I want to talk a little bit about the Hoop Summit and the, the... kind of high school more age kids stuff that's been going on and my big well,
1: <laughs> what the, the good news is that I can talk to you about what what all of the NBA people there told me happened sure
0: exactly <laughs> yeah and I but I'm one of them so 10. so like but yeah it's also but like I think my big takeaway from that. And, you know, this is my first real indication of uh, some of these guys are actually in the in the potentially in the 22 draft, Montero. And I think it sounds like Leonard Miller is going to be in too, right?
1: Yeah, we should have a conversation about Leonard Miller because I'm fascinated to hear what you sure. think of him. Um,
0: but I think for me, what was most notable about this hoop summit class was the lack of undeniable star power like they have there are yeah. a lot a lot of guys that i that intrigue me a lot of guys that i think with a year or two of seasoning can be excellent college players and potentially very good pros but there wasn't a markel fultz or a carl anthony towns or somebody where he just went oh that's like this this guy is going to be a thing like there wasn't anybody yeah. who did that so you're looking at it kind of through a different lens. And and I ended up in sort of a, a little bit of a summer league mindset, which is well, who pops and how do they pop? And yeah. my favorite player, I'm not going to say he was the best player I saw, especially <laughs> considering like you could tell certain things about where a guys ranked based on like like the consensus. Because again, I'm evaluating can, most of these guys. Can I line.
1: can I guess? Sure, who your favorite player was because you haven't told me this yet. Uh, was it Kalel Ware?
0: No, I did like I did like Kalel Ware. Um, I I Ware and Lively were both interesting. I actually liked Derek mm. Lively better than Ware. Um, uh, but yeah. no, where I'm going is jarris walker and
1: okay interesting jarris walker the the guy guy that i got told was from NBA teams that popped more than expected was where yeah what I said where so, so I cracked up on one
0: because where where and lively both of them I thought looked really stiff in the early stage like you know, like the first day it's more like big guys doing post moves and you're like oh god is it really that and then once especially lively once he got out into scrimmagey action I thought he looked a lot more yep. natural which is not yep. a surprise for a 17 18 year old kid like that's that's totally. more what you're used to that's more what you've what you have your experience doing Doing. But with Jairus, it was a combination of a couple of different things. So his functional athleticism seemed very good to me. Like there was a play, he had a like this incredible closeout block on a Kyle Filipowski three, and just like oh, like yeah, well that's that. I mean, we'll talk about Filipowski in a second. Um, he had a couple of good finishes in traffic, but the thing that made Walker, so I'm like, hmm. Was he had a couple of really nice passes? Had a hit ahead that was a little floaty, but got like, got to the right spot. Had a had a lob to a big that was a good read, and you know it was it was the right pass, and he passed it well. Which was very encouraging. And so it's like for him, it was okay. He might not be that guy now, but it's wh- where you can go with what he has. As yeah. a kind of you, we brought the idea of like a secondary creator or a complimentary piece. Like Jarvis Walker has wing size, he has athleticism. I don't, th- I, I didn't watch him and think like that's a star in the making, but I thought I could do something with that.
1: Yeah, no, uh, Jairus is interesting as far as like teams I talk to think of him as like maybe a one and done, maybe not. Uh, not like a wild athlete necessarily, but no, 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 not not and, like,
0: like superlative, but very, I would say from what I saw, very good.
1: Yeah, but and like plays physically and like you can do stuff with his frame, right? Like there's there's a lot there that I'm pretty interested in. Like I have watched him and I've been like, I think he's probably a first rounder next year. Yeah. I, I haven't dug like as deep into twenty twenty three, but I've dug enough to where I'm like, okay, like this guy's pretty good. Like I'm I'm pretty in. I'm I, I actually like the Arsenal kid that's going there as well. Houston. I'm sorry, he's going to Houston um quite a bit. So yeah, no, it's uh it's it's interesting. Like finding those wing guys is is so critical. Like Cam Whitmore, um, mm-hmm. derek Whitehead. Like there there are so many of these dudes that are wing sized that are skilled and that are athletic. And I think that some of these events like hoop summit are doing a good job of inviting those guys instead of like a bunch of smaller guards or a bunch of centers. Right. They invited, you know, I think three or four centers to hoop summit this year, which was the right call. Like uh, I, I was, I was pleased with it. I guess,
0: and, and I was intrigued by how many wing size guys that were on the international team as well. And I think some of that was also the supply with everything that's going on. I think they wanted yeah players that were easier to get. And again, I, I with- will
1: say too, for what it's worth, on the. You know, world team. I, I was I was told that NBA personnel were very unimpressed with the yeah, world team. This I
0: year. would say that. I would say that's fair. And um, the player on day, so I would say and you know, day one is probably in many ways the least representative. But maybe my favorite player of all of day one, both international and US, was uh, I'm probably going to get his name wrong, but Omaha Billu. Like
1: yeah. he, <laughs> it's funny. Yeah, I talked with an agent about him earlier today. Go
0: ahead. And so he wasn't as wasn't as. Dominant in some of the later stuff, but like played hard, good physical tools, and he, his jump shot looks pretty good, not like perfect or anything yet. And so it's again, it's like multiple clay. I liked him as yep. multiple clay. And there were times where I was interested in, in Tyrese Proctor, um, his jump shot, you know, like he, he kind of seems like he looked to me more like a complimentary guard than a lead guard at the NBA level. And that's also yeah. a challenge when you're evaluating 17 year olds. Like this is the first time I'd seen 17 year olds since before COVID is you have to calibrate your expectations and everything. And I I watched some of the NCAA tournament this year, so I didn't I was kind of going from NBA to AAU, and that was an adjustment for me. And then the two guys that I'm I'm pretty sure I know are in this class are Montero, G Montero, and then Leonard Miller for Montero. I wasn't blown away, personally. I thought that he, as a kind of a guard-sized guy, I wanted to see him create advantages more often than he did. And it's, you know, if you're not doing that against your peers, it's going to be a lot harder to do it against people who are superior to you, you know, like, who are whether that's because they are 23-year-old, like, 24-year-old men who have had the time to work on their body or they're just the caliber of athlete that the NBA has now. Miller is more interesting, and I... At times, I thought he kind of disappeared a little bit, but I also you know, he's, he's a little bit, I, I guess the best word I could use is a little bit silky at times where it's like the jump shot when it's working and he's not dominant defensively, but like he was usually in a reasonable place. So, you know, like he, I, is he like six, eight, six, nine? Does that seem about right? Uh,
1: he's actually about six ten
0: Okay. Um, so then right that makes me yeah, like him a little guy. bit better. Like what I thought when I looked at him, I said, if he can play power forward, I think he'll be just fine. Like that's the, you know, the, cause I didn't think he moved, I didn't think he moved his feet well enough to be a three, but if he's six, 10 then you don't really have to worry about that at all
1: yeah when i've watched leonard miller I get it. Um, I, I get why people are interested in Leonard. I am interested in him as a second round flyer.
0: Sure. Oh yeah. Um, I, uh, I mean, I would not knowing this class super well. Early second, maybe late first, depending on how much I like those guys. That's totally reasonable for him.
1: Yeah. The thing that worries me is I don't. I don't love the jumper. Uh, he seems to have a different uh, like load into the jumper every single time. He seems to have a different uh, just kind of setup for it every time he's kind of off balance in different ways too often uh i don't love the release point i think it's a little bit low he also isn't like a nuclear athlete he's very comfortable as an athlete but i don't think that he has that kind of pop that you look for from like a shot creator right and whenever i've seen him it's just been like all over the place in terms of feel for the game just like very wild very uh you know, make, makes bad decisions regularly, make some incredible decisions that, you know, really pop off the screen and you go, Oh, if he can do that, I'm really interested now. But then there are other ones where you're just like, man, what, what the hell did he just see there that he even tried that? You know yeah, what and, I mean? And,
0: but like, for example, I liked Cam Whitmore and Dylan Mitchell a lot more than him. Um, yeah. I thought, I thought both those guys, it's like, okay, there's, there's definitely a path for them into the NBA. And I think they'll both be very good college players. And, I I really liked that Nick Smith and I believe Anthony Black are both going to Arkansas. And, I, yeah. I, I, and I'm like, I like, yeah, I, I just I watched them. Know, perfect fit. You know, like Smith was one of my favorite guys on day one. I thought that he kept his feet moving on defense. And he's, there were a lot of one of the most interesting things about the Hoop Summit for me was that the, on Team USA, the best communicators defensively were their guards. Like Mm. I, I I thought that Nick Smith did a really nice job there. Amari Bailey, who's going to UCLA, was talking constantly, which is which is a good thing. And I'm sure a lot of these guys are so used to being the best players on their team that they kind of have had to be that guy a lot of the time, but. I, I liked I liked getting that because it and and for Biggs, a lot of the, there's a lot that's new in a circumstance like this and a lot of a lot of it is is a challenge and I mean I've talked with going back to like Festus Ezeli and Damian Jones and like there's a lot that they have to do stepping into college and then stepping into the NBA um, and so where where all of that goes for I think it's just a different process for Biggs. and so like yeah Bailey I like that with him. And then Whitehead, I know that I had I, heard his name before. So that's definitely somebody who I know has some has some
1: juice juice. Yeah, and him.
0: I liked I liked it. My favorite thing about Whitehead was his ability to get downhill. But I didn't love his jump shot. I thought it wasn't particularly versatile. Wanted to, you know, it, it, it like he to me, Whitehead seems like one of those players who has been able to dominate to this level with the things that he's good at that yeah. he might not have spent the time developing the things that will make him really good as a professional as a college player. I think he'll be fine with what he does now. And you know that I, I don't know whether he will do that or not. I, I don't, you know, there's nothing like broken with his jump shot, but it just, it wasn't at that level. Like I remember when I watched Jalen green at, in the G league Unite film and when I watched him, I'm like, Oh, like, I mean, Jalen green is a you know different kind of caliber of player. I'm guessing than where whitehead is. But that is a, you know, like it, It is a reminder of, I I talk a lot, like, I mean, it's funny, I even talk, my mom's a school teacher, I talk with her school kids about this, I'm like players, once they get to the pros they improve so much, it's like these high-end high high school players have to improve so much before and after they get to the pros.
1: No, that's totally right, like it takes real time, uh, but once they start really putting effort and energy into their games and improving their games, it does happen. And and it happens pretty quick a lot of the time as well, like you can see guys really make a leap.
0: It's super encouraging also, it's seems to me like i haven't been going to youth stuff as long as much or as long as you have it seems like the support structures are getting there where they're you know they can get this coaching i was i really enjoyed the team usa event i did in late 2019 where they were getting you know getting guys into some of that and like communicating and accountability and every and everything there and i'm sure it's been really hard for these kids over the last couple years like that's it's been just the the system and they've had but beyond even just like the basketball part of it for their lives everything else and We'll have to see those ripple effects over time.
1: But – And even even beyond the development side, the identification side has been really (sighs) – I can imagine. Like someone like Blake Wesley – you know, didn't really get to play you after he exploded as a player. And now here he is. And he might end up being a first round pick because we just like, didn't get to see it. Terquavion Smith's another one. Like these kids that just took a leap before they got to college. And then they show up in the ACC and they're dropping 15 to 18 points a game, you know, on self-created opportunities as teenagers. It's just really impressive stuff, man. Like it's, but it's been hard to figure out who's going to be great. And these, this next class is another one that is, is going to be difficult I think to really know who the great players are coming in.
0: Speaking of hard to figure out, Kyle Filipowski. I
1: <laughs> They're great Duke big.
0: Yeah, possibly like I I think that like so, I had heard another player who I had heard his name, and I'm like, oh, we'll see how this is going to go. I the biggest thing to me was that he just doesn't move quickly enough. You know, like yeah. he's, his 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 feet are a little bit cementy. Like I, I had this moment with him where it's like, I don't think he can. I, you know, and there's a lot of time for him to get better. I don't think he can defend power forwards. Like maybe in oh, college, no, 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 in college no, no, no. You
1: probably. Can. No, he's he's like, he's a center. But I don't, probably.
0: I didn't love him. Like I mean, and he was, you know, there the team USA had some real fives so like he didn't he didn't look as good as a rim protector as Lively and Wear, but Lively and Wear are different types of players there. And Filipowski, so that like where he fits in college probably won't be a problem, but where he fits in, in the pros, like, and his, the, my, actually my interesting favorite thing about him was his passing. Like he just, he just, not only the vision, but the velocity that he gets on passes. So It's another reminder of why a lot of my favorite passers are tall is just that it's, it's easier to not only get it there, but the angles are a lot simpler. So I didn't love him. I'm interested to see where his college career goes. Uh, I know your time is short. I wanted to take a couple minutes to talk about the Nasir Cunningham decision. And as somebody who is interested and, you know, kind of, we could say, emotionally invested in the development of players in America, I don't know enough internationally necessarily to get there. Nasir Cunningham using Overtime Elite, not as a college replacement, but as a high school basketball replacement, is absolutely fascinating.
1: So, yeah, I totally agree that it's really fascinating. And I think it's actually a really interesting decision for a number of reasons. You talk to people that have been down to Atlanta and the overtime elite program and you talk to the players that have been around there and you talk to just generally people associated with it. And you talk to scouts and they'll tell you that they were impressed with what overtime elite did for these kids this year. Uh, A a good example of that is actually going to be in this upcoming draft. It's not Sean Montero. It's actually Dom Barlow, who is like this six foot eight kid that has always been a real athlete, like an NBA caliber athlete, but wasn't necessarily like a skill level guy that was getting there. Uh, In terms of his ability to make things happen on the court. He went down to overtime elite this year and NBA teams are genuinely interested now. Like he really improved his skill level. He improved his shooting. He improved as a passer. Uh, You know, he's not going to be some crazy high level impact, you know, ball handler and playmaker. But as a potential defensive player who can come in and maybe make a shot someday as a project that you're taking, maybe in the 50s. I've gotten really good feedback on Barlow, to be honest, to where I I think it goes to show what overtime elite has kind of cultivated there. Look, I, I was as skeptical as anyone, and I'm still somewhat skeptical just because. They need to figure out a situation that allows them to play higher caliber teams more often. But at the end of the day, I've heard really good things about what Overtime Elite is doing. And it it doesn't surprise me that an elite level prospect like Nasir Cunningham, who is the number one player in the class of 2024, Uh, Has decided to make a move like this.
0: Also, Cunningham's decision to retain college eligibility, and that might be—I was talking with Nate about it a little bit on Dunked On—and that might be just kind of a little bit of a show game, where it's you know you can kind of get things through NIL or everything else. But it's what I like about that and kind of what it made me think of is this could be a lot less linear than i had thought and that could be really useful so maybe there are some players where it's hard to get to one of those basketball factories maybe you don't live close or maybe you think that the development support structure at overtime elite is superior for you but maybe you want the exposure of college basketball and march madness to build your brand and everything else there now there are lots of different ways to build your way through from 16 to 20 and i think that is a very good thing for young players even if not everything works perfectly every time
1: well and it lifts all boats as well like it forces the you know ncaa side to potentially uh, on the nil side pay more money to retain high level players it forces uh you know the G League Ignite program to potentially pay more money uh to the players that they're recruiting right it, it I, may
0: I just, it may eventually push the age limit forward
1: it could put um, f- i don't know if it'll go forward do you
0: i mean push push it to 18 which is where it, push it, put it to work oh, okay yeah, yeah
1: yeah yeah i see what yeah,
0: you're saying yeah yeah sorry sorry i should have been clear
1: yeah i I don't know what the age limit's gonna. I don't know what's gonna happen with the age limit. To be honest, uh, it's possible that it ends up at 18, but I, I think that owners and front office executives like the extra time. I, I think it, re- it's, it's I think- also
0: it's also hard because unless there are specific players in positions of power who want to fight for it, the the constituency like it's it's a challenge of collective yep. bargaining and minor league players in baseball are a phenomenal example of this too where the people who are affected the most by this are people who are not represented in the negotiations. And that's 100%
1: right. Yep, that's 100% right. Uh, and on top of it, too, it's actually disadvantageous for the people who are voting because, you know, it's 18-year-olds coming in that NBA teams are going to put time and resources into developing and potentially giving roster spots to uh, at the expense potentially of you know the older 32 year old minimum contract guy that uh, is coming in if only because rookie scale deals uh, or you know first year entry-level contracts are you know half as expensive as the contracts for 12year um, vets or whatever right 10 plus year vets so it's you know I think that I don't know who's gonna fight for the age limit to go up at the end of or to go down to 18 at the end of the day and
0: and, and who's gonna uh, fight hard for it because i think the owners are gonna fight harder than the players are and that means it's not gonna happen i hope it happens i think if, it's well, i yeah. think it's the right thing to do but i also don't think it's gonna happen
1: but i don't think the players are gonna fight for it because I, I think it's advantageous to the player body so like I think they might even fight against it, to be honest. Like, it feels like the only person that really wants it that has any sort of significant sway in the matter is Adam Silver. And he is, you know, a person that works for the owners at the end of the day. The owners don't work for Adam Silver. So it's going to be, you know, I'm with you. Like, I I think that, you know, at the end of the day, we should be allowing 18-year-olds to be able to enter the NBA. But... I'm just not sure how and when that actually is capable of happening given the, uh, Current the current iteration of how we collectively bargain these issues.
0: Yeah, I think that's really fair. Anything else that's sticking out to you in this window? We're still a little bit under two months away from the draft. Any any players who really help themselves that we didn't discuss, or any interesting storylines that we missed?
1: You know, I think it's going to be more worthwhile to do that after the lottery happens and after we see these guys at the combine because there's still a lot of uncertainty regarding who's gonna be in this draft, who's not gonna be in this draft. Um yeah, I think it's I think there's enough uncertainty there that like it's maybe worth waiting until then. But it, it's a draft that features a lot of interesting swings at the end of the day for teams, I think.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much for taking the time.
1: Of course, Danny. It was always great to have this chat.
0: Thanks again to Sam Vecini for taking the time to come on. You can read his excellent work at The Athletic. You can listen to his Game Theory podcast, which I have been a guest on at various points in the past, but he has a lot of other great ones, of course, as well. And you can also check out his YouTube channel. You can get to that through his Twitter at Sam underscore Vecini, S-A-M underscore V-E-C-E-N-I-E. Love having him on and getting a sense of it. I'm going to start hopefully watching draft film really soon, maybe before the start of next week. Just kind of depends on gaming timing and everything else like that. But I'm excited about getting a you know a preliminary sense of a few guys. We're not gonna do, you know, the whole first round or anything like that. But I do enjoy watching watching these young players and kind of trying to get a sense of what they're going to become. If you want to support the show, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can Subscribe, download every episode, whatever podcast player you use. Really do appreciate that. It can be Apple, it can be Spotify, it can be whatever. Really does help because helps our numbers and everything else, and because this show will never come out on a specific day of the week, it means that you will get to listen to it when it happens. Also, helping other people find the show, leaving a rating or review, or saying social media, hey, I think you like this, whatever it is, really do appreciate that. And then the single most important thing for this show and any other that has them is to check out our sponsors. For us, that is betonline.ag, and you can use that CLNS50 code, you get a 50% welcome bonus, we get you telling them that you came from us, which means that hopefully they will continue Continue to support us and really do appreciate that can also check out my other work nate and i going strong with dunked on prime talking about just about every game after it concludes and we'll be doing that throughout these playoffs and getting into offseason previews getting into our draft work and everything else so dunked on and then dunked on prime there are a few better times to subscribe to dunked on prime than during the playoffs no matter what team or teams you're interested in can also check out my written work at The Athletic, have a couple things coming out. Should be next next week. I don't think they're going to come out before then, um, but I'm, I'm excited about it. I just just wrote a, a big thing that'll be... I don't know if it's going to be one piece or two, but that should be coming out next week. Pretty excited about that. And if you have any feedback on the show, good, bad, or indifferent, Danny LaRue, NBA at gmail.com is the way to get it to me. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. That is a promise, and I'm trying to get better at replying. It's something that I've wanted to work on, but I will read it, and... People do all the time, and I really do appreciate it. It helps make the show better. So thank you so much for listening. Take care, and make it a great day.